House of Grumps production. Hey, hey. Hey, girl. Welcome to the What a Mouthful podcast. I'm your host, Dee. I'm a qualified nutritionist, personal trainer, mindset speaker, and my favorite of all, I'm a mum. Living your best life doesn't have to be a grind, and I'm going to show you how to achieve a healthy mind and body. And if this episode speaks to you, give a sister a five-star review. This episode is brought to you by Sunny. Okay, you've spent money on good food, but you have this one veggie leftover that you just don't know what to do with. I personally hate wasting food, so what do I do? I just chuck it into the Sunny app search bar, and voila, I have over 400 yummy, healthy recipes at my fingertips, approved by moi, so you know they're good, and more. Want to subscribe to Sunny too? Use Mouthful15 for 15% off and never waste good food again. So here's a spicy one I know you guys are gonna love. This episode is all about how to boost your metabolism. So what have you probably heard? You've probably heard on the food front that things like spicy food, lemon, coffee, and water are things that boost your metabolism. And then on the exercise front, you've probably heard that hit exercise or vigorous exercise and weights are what can boost your metabolism. And when we say metabolism, what we're really talking about is your resting metabolic Right. So this is how many calories you burn at rest. Now, let me preface this with let's not get too caught up in all of the specific numbers, because if you know anything about metabolism, what you will know is that things like your Apple Watch that are estimating how many calories you burn or your MyZone heart rate monitor or even any heart rate monitor, it's just an estimate based on your age and other demographics. So it's always an accurate, um, an inaccurate estimation um, of exactly how many calories you're burning at any one given time. So it's just a range, right? So try not to get too, too caught up on it. The other thing is, is that your BMR, your basal metabolic rate, uh, resting metabolic rate it's also interchangeable with basal metabolic rate sometimes you'll see it as BMR or RMR same thing is going to fluctuate every day because some days you're going to be you know flying high feeling great some days you're going to be tired as some days you're going to be doing a heavy training session some days you're just going to go for a walk so every single day your basal metabolic rate is actually going to change regardless so to get too caught up in the numbers is just going to end you up in a spiral and a rabbit hole and and you don't really want to be there. So when you do some types of exercise, it actually does have the ability to increase your metabolic rate for hours afterwards. And this is what is known as exercise uh, post-oxygen consumption or EPOC, if you've maybe heard of EPOC. And I do believe that Orange Theory is like, they're built completely on this principle. And Though if you look at, you know, total daily energy expenditure, which is like the number of calories that we burn across a day, it's actually really interesting when you break it down. What has the biggest influence on metabolism in the first place? And I guess let's just remember that we're talking about metabolism largely because as women, we know there's a big societal pressure to look a certain way. But that aside, you do want to make sure that you have a healthy metabolism so that you're maintaining a healthy body weight. And that healthy body weight is gonna mean that you don't have high levels of fat, which has been associated with a lot of sort of poor um, health outcomes and like syndromes and conditions and things like that. You know, maybe cardiovascular disease being one sort of bigger example. Um, And that you have optimized levels of, of muscle and, you know, and you have enough energy to match what your body needs in the day 
and that it doesn't fluctuate a lot. So, you know, I think it can be really tricky if you're somebody who, you know, you sort of either find it really hard to stop gaining weight um, or you lose muscle mass really quickly it's going to be even harder for you to be able to figure out, you know, an accurate estimation of what your BMR is because it will fluctuate and it will change daily. But largely when we're talking about this, we're usually thinking, okay, we think metabolism, we think we're, we're thinking weight loss. Um, for women, it's pretty typical. And, and I'm all for that. That's okay. We can want weight loss, but just let's do it in a healthy way. And I really want you guys to stick around to the end of this episode because I have such nuggets of gold and wisdom that I'm going to share with you in how to, in a healthy and safe way, actually boost your metabolism. It's not just a buzzword. So I mentioned before total daily um, energy expenditure. And so when you like break up your total daily energy expenditure, like how many calories you're burning in a day, Um, remember that this is not a totally accurate number when you're estimating, or even when you're looking at the amount of calories you're going to eat in a given day, or you're looking at your Apple watch and going, Oh, I burned 1400 calories or whatever it might be. Just remember these are estimated numbers and they're just numbers. They're just ranges. So when we break it down, we're looking at the BMR, which is the number of calories we're burning at rest. TEF, which is the thermic effect of food. And that's actually what you're burning while you're digesting food. NEAT, which is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Um, so, you know, the what you're burning when it's outside of exercise, whether it's, you know, eating or sleeping or taking the stairs or walking um, or fidgeting, <laughs> funnily enough, fidgeting as well um, comes under that category. And then finally, there's EEE, which is energy sorry, exercise energy expenditure. And that is the number of calories you burn during exercise. Now, when you look at what makes up your biggest percentage of calorie burn, the bigger influence out of the calories burned in exercise versus the calories burned outside of exercise, the calories burned outside of exercise, that NEAT, that non-exercise activity thermogenesis, actually accounts for more influence on your metabolism than the calories you're burning while you are training. That means that when you're eating, sleeping, taking the stairs, doing extra walks, that actually has a bigger impact on your amount of calories burnt in the day than your training session does. And that's not to say, you know, go and start fidgeting (laughs) and, you know, and go and be a crazy person and and like, you know, walk around your house heaps and just keep moving about and don't rest and don't relax. That is definitely not what I'm saying. And if you think that that's the case and you're like, this is great, this actually suits me quite well because I'm a super stressed person. So I can just walk around feeling anxious all day and I'm going to burn heaps of calories and it's going to be great. Well, please wait and listen until the end of this episode, because now we transition to Okay, that's all well and good. You may or may not have already known that, but what about the effects of stress on metabolism? So let me hit you with some facts. In 2016, the Institute of Neuroscience and Physiology uh, at the University of Gothenburg in Sweden actually found that the activation of the HPA axis, um, which is the main axis where, you know, stress and all that sort of stuff is um, looked after, and CRH, which is corticotropin releasing hormone, um, can explain the weight loss. So those two things, the activation of the HPA axis and CRH can explain that weight loss that happens from short-term 
acute stress. No, I didn't say cute stress. I really don't think stress is cute, especially when it's, there's too much of it. I mean acute stress. I'm going to stop right here because I am well aware. And in fact, I have been guilty of it in the past that like there's those times where you're a little bit stressed and you're just like running around like a headless chook sometimes, or maybe you get sick and you don't eat that much. And you're just like that pure stress gets you to a point where someone actually compliments and like, oh, wow, you, you look great. You've lost weight. Let's just be really mindful of that. Okay. Because I'm not judging you if you've ever done that. I'm not going to judge myself. Like I'm a human being, whatever. I like to look nice, but I really want you to just be mindful of that. Be honest with yourself. If you've ever actually gone through that experience, just know that that acute stress is doing a little bit of damage. And while it might make you have lost, you know, a kilo, like, please just don't get caught up in that. Please don't think, oh, like, I'll just be like, if I'm just stressed all the time and I just never eat and I'm just super busy, well then, you know, I'll just lose heaps of weight and I'll look really awesome because the second piece of science and not to mention it's very important for your relationship with your body and your relationship with your food that you're really aware if that is you, that that doesn't continue for too long is um, that on the other hand, the release of something called glucocorticoids and neuropeptide Y can explain the um, dietary overconsumption, that increased fat around your organs called visceral fat and the like overall weight gain from chronic stress. So there are these kind of different things going on in the body. So yes, when you're acutely stressed, sometimes that can explain, like there are certain things that can explain why you might lose weight. Now, remember you, you may not be losing fat. It may just be, you know, a combination of fat, water, and, uh, you know, and muscle, which is not ideal and not optimal. Nonetheless, it's still kind of helping to you to explain to you why sometimes you maybe go through that sort of, you know, maybe a week of stress and then you, you might lose weight. But then on the other hand, it's saying that that same mechanism, if it goes on for too long, will actually be the reason why you gain weight. So it's really, really important to understand that. And that that really prominent, uh, you know, stress influence on metabolism is something that I see all the time. It's funny because like I'm a nutritionist and I'm a personal trainer and I promise you, I talk about stress more than I talk about anything else. Of course, it's important to have, you know, the right food. It's important to have, you know, water. It's important to move your body, but more so than all of that. And I would say even like the most important thing is to first and foremost, either reduce your stress or help your body manage stress better. And this is what I like to call improve your stress resilience. And again, you can do things like meditation, journaling, um, talking to a friend, grounding, um, you know, where you actually like take off your shoes and you like be in contact with the earth, whatever it is that calms you down, taking a bath or, you know, sitting down with a cupper and a hot water bottle or whatever it might be, hanging out with, with girlfriends that just really lift you up. Those kind of stress reducing activities, I see person to person make the most impact in a positive way on people's metabolism. I really also like to help kind of backtrack and almost redefine people's understanding of metabolism 
Um, because metabolism is defined as the rate of chemical reactions in the body, uh, in the body cells that change food into energy. And I really do think that when you are just chasing all these kind of ideas that kind of exist in the health and fitness industry at the moment, like, you know, the things I was mentioning before at the beginning of the episode, and also the typical things that people do, um, you know, when you talk to like personal trainers or people and you're like, hey, like, let's, you know, how do we speed up my metabolism? I just feel like there's such like fatty kind of trendy things to do, like even intermittent fasting. And I will spend some time in a future episode talking about that because I think I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. But these kind of like almost like quick wins that actually end up doing a lot more damage. And I do feel like the chase for a faster metabolism, the way we're currently doing it is a zero sum game. You, you, you know, you gain some benefits here and then you gain some detrimental effects um, in your body at the same time. And so what I really think is I think instead we should actually think of improving our digestion um, and almost replacing the word metabolism anytime we hear it with digestion, because everything that actually improves your digestion is what actually improves your metabolism. Um, you know, so really like, you, you know, think about that. How do you efficiently boost your metabolism? Uh, it is to actually improve your digestion because like I said before, if metabolism is defined as the rate of chemical reactions in the body cells that change food into energy, well then isn't digestion exactly that? Digestion is defined as the rate of chemical reactions in the body cells that change food into energy. Like that is the system that is helping you change food into energy and it can't happen without the digestive system. You know, I think your digestive rate, you're able to kind of figure out by if you, you know, if you cut coffee out of your diet, because that can, um, it, it stimulates, it doesn't stimulate your metabolism necessarily. Um, and I will like, if anyone has any research out there where it's like specifically, it actually speeds up your metabolism long-term, sure, send it to me. But from what I've seen and what I've experienced and, and how I help clients, what actually happens when it comes to coffee is it just speeds up all of the processes in the body, but it robs you of future energy in the day. And then you end up kind of increasing this, this turnover of chemical reactions, but over time that actually decreases the amount of nutrients that you have and and can really lead to nutritional deficiency. So the way that someone once explained it to me was imagine uh, a hamster on a wheel and when you give that hamster, you know, more speed, you also have to feed that hamster. But with coffee, it's different to, you know, nutritious food where you're like, here, have some, have some fast energy in the form of, of good food. Like, you know, maybe something like a carbohydrate or something like that, where that hamster then starts running quicker, but that hamster also is getting more energy. And so it's able to run on that wheel, but it's not burning itself out necessarily. When it comes to coffee, it's like you're asking that same hamster on the wheel to run faster without giving it any food, because it's kind of like you're forcing it to work harder without you know, giving it any nutrients to help it do so. And so that's why I feel like coffee just robs you of energy and it definitely masks what your true energy is. And so a really good little test and experiment that you can do at home is why don't you just cut coffee for a week, especially if you're a coffee addict, just to see what is my real energy like? 
Because up until this point, if you have coffee every single day and maybe multiple coffees, you actually don't know what your true natural energy is actually like. And when you do that, you're actually able to see then as well what your digestive function and digestive rate and kind of, you know, therefore your metabolic rate actually is. What I'd almost always find is people who drink a coffee in the morning will then do a number two shortly after that. Then when they come off coffee, it takes them like a day or two, sometimes three for them to go and do a number two. And what that means to me is that not only was coffee kind of covering up and masking their energy, but it was also giving them a false sense of how fast their metabolism was. And so sometimes then when they go on that week long hiatus of coffee and they're like, wow, my metabolism isn't actually as good as I thought it was, then it's kind of like a really good wake up call that, hey, if you keep this up for too much longer, like you are going to run yourself into the ground and this is going to be a form of chronic stress for you. And you know, of course, like there's always, you know, two sides to the equation. I know people who have coffee are like, I need the coffee. I need to survive to have the coffee. But you can also simultaneously help your body by improving your stress resilience and trying to minimize stress in other areas of life. If the stress of coffee is something you don't want to give up, that's okay. You don't have to, but have a look at other places in your life that are creating stress for you and try and minimize those where you can or, and, and I would say, and as well, also try to improve your resilience to that stress. So that kind of brings me to the question. So how do you like efficiently boost your metabolism then. And this is how I advise you do it. Number one, have lots of water, make sure it's filtered where you, where possible and nourishing balanced meals. That's number one. Number two is make sure you exercise and move your body in a way that you know works for your body and is sustainable. And number three, reduce your stress or improve your ability to cope with it. Oh my God, would you look at that? It's almost like it's exactly my three pillars of health, is it not? (laughs) Because largely what we're talking about here is the fuel. So the water and the nourished balanced meals, the movement, exercise, and the focus, reducing your stress and improving your stress resilience. This is why time and time again, I come back to these three principles because every time I talk about something that's slightly even related to health, it always comes back to those three. And let's go back to, you know, what you've heard, spicy food, lemon, coffee, water. I really want to look at what's on the exercise front, because for me, exercise is a fantastic tool. And what I think is the most um, potent tool, especially just movement in general. But when we really isolate to that specific EEE, that exercise energy expenditure, there is a longer term effect that isn't really taken into account when you look at the total daily energy expenditure. It's almost like you've got a calculator, but then you're, you forget about the compound interest that you're also accruing. And I feel like when we look at exercise, there is a type specifically of exercise that is going to continue over time to build that compound interest for you and help you just like make bank, uh, making bank being like improving and, and I guess speeding up or repairing your metabolism. Cause often what we're doing unknowingly is we're just damaging it and slowing it down. So we just want it running at its optimal rate. 
So what kind of exercise specifically does this? This is really what I want to hone in on. So an article from the Journal of Clinical Investigation from the 1990, yes, it's old, but it stands the test of time, found that more muscle actually meant a more favorable metabolic rate. And then an article from 2021 in Nutrients really said that largely both resistance and endurance, so that's weight and cardio, but especially resistance and a higher protein intake than the recommended 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight per day was the most effective intervention when it came to weight management. Again, the reason that we care about metabolism in the first place is we just, we want it to help manage our weight, right? And so it's really interesting to see that this was reflected in the study as well as what I see in females in real life. And this RDA, this recommended daily allowance of protein of 0.8 grams per kilo of body weight, means that if you were to work it out, let's say just for argument's sake, you weighed um, 100 kilos, then you would actually be aiming for 80 grams of protein across your day. And that's the recommended um, dietary allowance. But what they're saying in this study and what I've come to find to be very true is that that 0.8 grams per kilogram is just not enough for our bodies to thrive. And what I normally push closer towards is 1.5 grams, sometimes even up to two grams per kilogram of body weight per day. And I do find that that is the best way to really hold on to that skeletal muscle mass because that skeletal muscle mass is next level for so many reasons. And I'm gonna share with you a little bit of a D-dive, let's go on it together, where we talk about something called mitochondria and why having more muscle mass is actually going to give you more energy and why I feel like that translates to a better metabolism. So when we look at the mitochondria of our cells, you've got, if each cell is like a little circle, Inside each circle, you've got a battery. That battery is called mitochondria. Now, when you build muscle, what you're actually doing is you're actually replicating. So you're like, you've got this cell, this one cell with this one battery in it. You're actually replicating those cells. So now you've got, say, for example, two circles with two batteries in them, like one in each, but two altogether. And that's the only kind of cell that you really want to duplicate on demand. Like, yes, the only other one that you're really duplicating on demand in the average adult is fat cells, but we don't want to have excess fat cells. We know that that is associated with a lot of comorbidities and, you know, just disease and and things like that. When it's in excess, I didn't say fat altogether. I said when it's in excess or excess fat. So really what you're trying to do is you're trying to duplicate the batteries. And obviously the batteries are going to help with the amount of energy that it's helping produce in the body. And then when you have more muscle cells, what you're actually doing for yourself is you're giving yourself more overall energy. Now, let me ask you, when you have lots of energy, do you miss a gym day? Probably not. Do you make good food choices? Yes, you do. Do you feel like you can cope better with stress and unexpected things in your life? Absolutely. So to me, it makes total sense 
that it is much better for you if you had to just focus on one kind of exercise, given the fact that yes, moving your body is more important than what exercise you're doing, but specifically what kind of exercise works for you, not only in terms of Yes, we say calorie burn. Do we really care that much about calorie burn? I don't really care that much about calorie burn. What I care about is how much energy do I have to play with Billy? How much energy do I have for her when we play games, when I've come home and I picked her up from daycare and she's had this you know, amazing day and she's you know, jumping off the walls and I've had this hectic day of work where you know, I'm living my dream and I'm doing my thing, but of course it is tiring and then I come home and then I have to be a mom, you know? So I want to have loads of energy for her. I want to be there and present in every moment that I spend with her. And the way that I see that making the most sense with the time that I have available is to maximize my time at the gym by choosing to do mostly weights. If we do go back to that 2021 article in Nutrients, it did say that both cardio and weights can help in weight management. And here is a really, really cool tip that I learned from my Muscle Nerds course. So obviously I'm a personal trainer and I have been for many years, but boy, I had no idea that I knew so little. And then I went to the Muscle Nerds course and honestly, I was like, I need to go back and I need to apologize for every single client I've ever had in the past because I did not do the best that I could possibly do as a personal trainer because I thought I knew the human body, but I did not know the human body. It is so much more complicated than we think it is. And that is why, I mean, I just love it. I feel like the more that you learn, the more you realize you don't know shit and there's more to learn. And I love that. It's like this never ending chase to understand it. But I do, again because I am a mad nerd and I study like a boss is that it always comes back to those three pillars. And so that's why I really love to like, just really get to understand, okay, why is somebody doing X, Y, Z? Why is somebody doing cardio? If somebody asks me, what's the best exercise to do? What's the best way to boost my metabolism? I'm going to say, well, what's your goal? What's your life look like? You know, what's your, where's your body currently at? What else are you doing? Are you already ticking off, you know, having good, clean water and nourishing balanced meals? Are you already working on reducing your stress? Okay, if we're looking at the exercise pillar, which is something that really, I think, like I said, has more long-term effects uh, that are like this compound interest that are this just kind of like really underestimated amazingness about them. Um, then I would say to them, okay, let's focus on resistance training. But like I said, there was cardio mentioned as well. And so I really just want to touch on that because this is a very, very cool program design idea that I learned very much from muscle nerds. So, you know, before I was talking about that circle and the battery inside that circle being the mitochondria of the cell. Well, Let's say, for example, you have cells that are only half charged. So that mitochondria is not working all that well and you're feeling kind of tired and maybe you're feeling so tired that you feel like it's so draining to start muscle building and to start doing weights. This might be totally valid for you and this makes sense. Now, if you have high blood pressure as well, then the very best thing that you could do is something like a block. And I think it's around, 
you know, it does work best or what I've seen work best is between six to eight weeks of a cardio block. And so what cardio is going to do, and all you're doing is like a steady state. So you're doing moderate intensity, steady state, something that I call miss. <laughs> it's a good one for us ladies, um, but it's called miss. So moderate intensity, steady state, where you're just being consistent for half an hour. So, you know, you're at like 75% of your exertion for the, across the whole half an hour. And that's all you need per day, you know, five to seven days a week, because it's not the kind of exercise that drains you. It's actually the kind of exercise that charges you up because what cardio actually does is it actually helps you to charge the mitochondria in those cells. So let's say it goes from 50% in the one cell. Well, when you do cardio, you're not really building that much muscle. So you're not really duplicating that cell just yet, but you've got, you've gone from this one circle with a half charged battery to one circle with maybe a 75% or eventually a hundred percent charged battery. So then when you go to duplicate those muscle cells, you're actually then duplicating them with so much more efficiency and effectiveness. And then suddenly you are, a, you know, a muscly machine, like this amazingly strong fit female and you have more energy. And I just feel like it is such an important way to understand the order of your programming and why you're doing certain exercise at certain times. So I really hope that helps you know, for you to identify where you might be at, what might work for you. And to top off this amazing episode, which I'd be honest, like to be honest, I absolutely have loved this episode is of course, a question from my community. So Jade from Ontario, Canada has asked, I feel fatigued, like I run out of energy pretty quick and I have a low sex drive. What's one way I can fix this? Well, Jade, thanks for listening to this episode because you've just learned the very best way to do that. The way that you can build energy most effectively is by duplicating those muscle cells so that you have more overall battery sitting in your body that are helping to give you more energy throughout your day because energy production actually takes place inside that cell. So that just means you've got more workers working on making energy out of those little batteries, uh, which just translates to a greater feeling of overall energy across your day, across your week, across your year, across your life. And the other thing that I would say, because you've touched on low sex drive is having more muscle actually allows us to have more testosterone in our body. And the great thing about that with a low sex drive is that you'll actually feel like you have more energy to have sex, which is also nice um, because a lot of the time, what's the reason we don't want to have it is because we're so tired. So muscle building can actually help with that energy, but it also helps to change and shift your hormones in a more desirable way so that you do have that better libido. So I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. You are legends. Love you so much. And I will see you in next week's episode. Bye. If anything in this episode sparked a question for you, please reach out to me on Instagram at dzabara. You're a legend and legends leave five-star reviews. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Catch you next time on What a Mouthful.